Well, kia ora, hello and welcome to the Coast Vineyard Podcast. Whether you're a regular or a first-time listener, it's so good to have you listening in. We hope and pray that wherever you may find yourself at today, that the message that you're about to hear would be helpful for your journey of faith. So without further ado, let's get into this week's message. I want to share something this morning that uh, has actually already been uh, referenced a little bit by uh, Jacinda, which is which is great. Uh, given the fact that, that Christmas has all sorts of emotions attached to it, right? My prayer over what I want to um, talk about this morning is that it would, it would add some backbone to your hope. To, that, that as you anticipate the birth of Christ, as we anticipate Christmas you know, next week and celebrating this King that comes, that it would be like just this hope reinforcer for you. No matter how you find yourself tracking through this season of time, whether it's a mix of emotions, that this will be a great hope reinforcer for you. So let's pray, and then, uh, then we'll jump in. Father, we, we thank you for the hope that you offer us, and we thank you for the season where we can anticipate the birth of a king that makes such a difference in our worlds. And so we pray, Father, that just even over these next few minutes that you'd come, you'd speak to us afresh, you'd enliven our hearts to the things that are important for us to take notice of today and in this season, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. I wonder if as you think about your life, you can think of some key pivot points in your life. Some key sort of moments that you have been heading in one direction, and then because of a decision that you've made, uh, an event that's happened, you have pivoted your life, and you've started heading in a different direction. You know, I think the reality is that for every one of us in the room, there will be those moments in our lives, right? If we just stop and think about it, a, a decision to uh, say yes to a particular job, uh, a decision to move cities or countries, uh, uh, a decision of who to marry, uh, a decision of, 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 of what direction you want your life to go. And, you know, we have these various pivot points. Some of those pivot points are ones that are kind of self excuse me, self-initiated, uh, but other of those pivot points sort of happen more to us. It could be a significant tragic event that's taken place or something that happened to you and you were forced to pivot and start heading in a different direction. For, for many of us in the room, that season of exploring who Jesus is and accepting Christ into our hearts and lives, that has been a key pivot point in our lives. You know, that, that, that sense of, I was heading in this direction, uh, doing my own thing, and however it happened, whether it was a, a kind of an instantaneous, man, I've, I, I need to invite God into my life, or maybe a more gradual thing as it, as it was for me. But however it happened, you made that pivot. You made that decision to 
invite Christ into your life, and life started heading in a different direction because of that pivot point that you had in your life. And of course, if you are here, uh, or maybe you're watching with us online, and that's not your reality, you know, you haven't yet made that pivot point of inviting Christ to be in your life, to be center of your world. You know, we at Coast Vineyard, we're not here to force you uh, to do anything that you're not ready to do, to push that upon you. However, we would absolutely unashamedly encourage you to make that decision. Because at the end of the day, we see that life is better lived with Jesus. Not, not easier. It's not a magic wand that you invite Jesus in and everything, you know. But better. When you go through hardship, when you go through joy, Jesus makes things better. So we'd unashamedly invite you towards that. Not here to push you into that. But we want to invite you because we believe it wholeheartedly. Uh, I remember um, one of these pivot points in my life. Uh, It was the year, I think it was late year 2000, coming into 2001. I was studying, I was in Christchurch. And there was this girl. (laughs) So a group of our friends, uh, you know, we're all sort of interacting. And I came up with this idea. I think it was holiday time. I, I thought it would be great to go for a walk. And, uh, and so I invited this group of friends uh, to go, go on a walk and so forth. And only she could come. <laughs> I might have had an inkling that that was going to be the situation. But uh, let's just say I was not sad uh, that the rest of the friend group couldn't come, but that she could. Now, what's important for you to know is that... Um, I was a kid, and our family did lots of um, uh, tramping, lots of you know hiking and so forth. And in my mind, and I'm, it should be in everyone's mind, um, a, a tramp is defined by a walk that you need to do that goes over a day. All right, you need to stay somewhere, uh, you know, camp in a hut, whatever. That's that's a tramp. Okay, so therefore, a walk is anything that doesn't involve an overnight stay somewhere. So uh, let's just say that um, Rachel's uh, expectations or thoughts about what a walk was might not have been quite the same as, as mine. <laughs> so we went for this walk, and uh, if anyone happens to know Christchurch, Mount Herbert uh, is a great um, hike to, uh, to climb up. It sort of takes three or four hours um, to, to get to the top, and there's a beautiful view of the top. It's a great walk. Uh, and then kind of uh, an hour or two to come back down. Just, you know, it's good. And so completely unbeknownst to me, uh, Rachel may have been uh, a little struggling with the walk thing that we were going on, but I was completely oblivious because I was just trying to pluck up the courage. Could I, how can I tell this girl how I feel about her? Oh, isn't that nice? And so at the top, at the top of this walk, Mount Herbert, I I did pluck up the courage to tell her how I felt. And I'm sure that Rachel will add some more details to the story, but she's she's not the one telling it. Uh, (laughs) 
And let's just say the rest is history. Here we are, 23 years later, married kids, you know. I'm so grateful for that pivot point, and I'm grateful that it wasn't a horrendously awkward walk back down the mountain <laughs> after I expressed my feelings to her, and she, you know, she was warm to the idea. <laughs> but I want to talk this morning about Jesus as history's pivot point. Jesus as history's pivot point. This, this idea of what we celebrate coming into Christmas is the pivot point in history that Jesus' life gave to all humanity. And so what I want to do is just essentially try and talk a little bit about the before the expectation, the coming king, who was expected in this Messiah and the Christ. And then to actually fast forward and to look in retrospect and hindsight to see, well, what difference has been made? What pivot point has happened as we look at humanity because of this pivot point through the life of Jesus? Make sense? Yeah. On board? Did you know that there are over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Bible? Over 300 of these expectations about what he would do, who he would be, where he would be born, what would be important to him, how he would die, and, and many, many more. Now, of those 300 prophecies or so that are in Scripture, some of them are yet to be fulfilled. You know, some of them are yet to be fulfilled in the second coming of Christ, the, the eventual return of Jesus. But a lot of those prophecies have already been fulfilled. And actually, it's incredibly impressive if you think about it, because the Bible is this collection of 66 books, 40 different authors, uh, all inspired by God, obviously, but I've written over 1,500 years. Yet within those, it's not like it's not like one person sat down. And said, ah, I know how to write a really convincing tale that will lead people along. It's not how the Bible happened. It's incredible. In fact, um, some of you might have heard of the study. It was done a number of years back now by uh, a guy, Peter Stoner. Uh, and he did this research, and he wanted to um, work out the probability that Jesus would fulfill just eight of these significant prophecies that are, that are held in the Bible. And he worked out that, that for one person to fulfill that would be one in 10 to the seventeen. In other words, one in 10 followed by 17 zeros. Billion, trillion, you know, a lot. He said, in order to think about it, uh, take the state of Texas, uh, spread it with uh, silver dollar coins at that, at that point, and it'll cover Texas two feet deep. All right, uh, American language. New Zealand, cover New Zealand a meter and a half deep with $2 coins, mark one of them, mix them all up, blindfold someone, send them on out to see if they can find that one coin that's marked. That's the probability of Jesus being able to, to fulfill just eight of those significant prophecies about 
his life. Cool, eh? So we're going to go through all 300 this morning. No, no, no. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not going to do that, but, but just to give you a, a, a bit of a taste of the expectation, this is, this is what we into this is this advent season is not just about a, a cute little baby in a manger this is about the coming of a king and so what i want to do is just to just to dip into it a little bit with three of my faves all right three of my favorite prophecies about who jesus is meant to be who this messiah will be all right ready for number 1 yeah. bethlehem man how specific to be born in Bethlehem, about 10K uh, south of Jerusalem. And the, the, the minor prophets, you know, it's a bit mean, isn't it, to be regarded as a minor? I, you know, I'd be happy to be a minor prophet in the Bible. I mean, that'd be pretty cool. But anyway, one of the minor prophets, Micah, he says this, Micah 5 verse 2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Then, of course, we dip into the Gospels that tell the story of who Jesus is, and uh, we'll have a little bit more shepherds and angels and, you know, Christmassy things next Sunday, all right? But we hear the story unfold of the fact that Jesus was, in fact, born in Bethlehem due to a set of quite interesting circumstances. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. He was also prophesied to proclaim good news to the poor. And boy, did he do that. Years later, as Jesus is beginning to step into more of a public reality of who he is, there's the scene in the synagogue, which is where the Jewish people would gather for worship and still do. And it's his turn to read from the scriptures. And he reads this, uh, this prophecy about the Messiah again in the book of Isaiah, from the book of Isaiah. He reads this, and this is the moment in Luke 4, now into the Gospels. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has, he has anointed me to proclaim Proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was on, were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What a massive statement. Now, whether they fully understood or not, but in hindsight, what a massive statement that he was saying about who he was, who it was that they were looking at, who it was that they were hearing from. And then, of course, throughout the Gospels, we see these beautiful stories of Jesus ministering in special ways to the poor, to those who, who needed freedom to come to them in some way, shape, or form. And he came to minister that, to give that. Jesus fulfilled that prophecy to proclaim good news to the poor. It was also prophesied that the Messiah would ride on a donkey into Jerusalem. Again, very specific. 
In Zechariah 9, another of the Old Testaments, you know, the time before Christ, the, the minor prophets, describes the scene as, as Jerusalem rejoices over her king entering into the city on a donkey. Uh, Zechariah 9, second half of verse 9. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Then in the Gospels, both Matthew and John describe this triumphal procession, this triumphal entry of Jesus into the city. Man, what it would have been to be there at that moment, riding on a donkey. <laughs> As he did this, he, he says in, in verse 9 of Matthew 21, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of God, to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When, Je when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Apparently that word um, stirred there uh, literally means shaken. Uh, and it's where we get our word seismic from. So as Jesus entered into the city, it was like the whole area was shaken as he entered in. Now, there are obviously many, many more, but that's just a, just a taster of some of the prophecies, the expectation of Jesus. As we celebrate this coming king, he's a king who's not like any other. He's a king that comes to offer freedom and healing and wholeness to humanity, that leads with peace, that shows us what true love really is. And the reality is that this king is a major pivot point in history, that the world was not the same. After Jesus came. Now, some, especially in our day and age and in our time, some would argue that maybe Christmas is a nice story, but it doesn't really hold much sort of weight or relevance uh, to life, you know, here, here and now. But I want to suggest to you, and I'm, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir, <laughs> that is not the case. We can actually now, with hindsight, look back and see the difference that Jesus and the followers of Jesus have made to our world. History's pivot point. In fact, H.G. Um, Wells, who is a secular historian, he says this, I am an historian, I'm not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. It's estimated that uh, now there's over 2 billion people around the, around the world that would identify themselves as Christians. The, the, the dates that we use, B.C., A.D., before Christ, and Anno Domino Domini, uh, after the year of our Lord, uh, you know, is based on the life of Christ. 
But there's some really good things that Jesus and his followers have, have brought into the world. And, and, and what I want to do is just to, again, take that pivot and now look at some of those points of difference. Some of those things that Jesus' followers have brought to the surface, have stood for through history. Pivot with me? <laughs> See what I did there? Um, okay, here's just a few. Healthcare. So hospitals, for example, as we know them today, came primarily from Christians caring for the sick. Anyone who became sick. So it used to be that they were just for the useful sick. Now, hear this, hear this list of who's regarded as useful. So, uh, soldiers, slaves, gladiators, any in the room? Uh, and the very rich. So basically what you missed is a huge middle section of society that just kind of got left to their own devices. But Christians saw that we were one under Christ and that therefore we have this, we have this need to care for everyone. Galatians 3, 28, Therefore there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus' followers took that seriously. And it got to the point that uh, in the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, they actually made a decree that a hospital would be built next to every church that was built or in the same general area because they saw how Christians were caring for the sick and they saw that it was a very good thing to make sure that communities and society had that. There are now thousands of hospitals around the globe that have their roots firmly established within the Christian faith. It's where they started from. Christians, Jesus followers, people like us did that. Then there's been the status of children. So in Mark 10, the disciples are rebuking people for bringing small children to Jesus. But he turned around and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. You know, obviously along a similar theme is what we're just talking about with healthcare, to bring value to every individual. It, it used to be the case, and unfortunately this is still a need in our world, but it used to be the case that if a child was unwanted, they could be just cast aside. Man, it just honestly, it just makes me sick to think about it, you know? Cast aside like a commodity or a possession. And especially, unfortunately, for young girls, girl babies, because of this male dominance within society in so many parts of the world. But Christians, Jesus' followers, said that is not right. There is a sanctity of life. There is an importance that every life has. And so we see, you know, adoption become a reality. We, we see this, this care for young children, for babies become a reality. Je Jesus' followers would go around and they would rescue these babies who had been put on a rubbish heap somewhere or cast aside somewhere just because they were unwanted and unloved. Orphanages grew out of that. Similarly, Jesus' followers through the centuries have helped to slowly lift the dignity for women. 
So Christians have helped to establish marriage, for example, as being this highest commitment between two people. They, it, it again used to be, unfortunately, and is still in parts of the world, this sense of commodity or possession that a woman would be to a man. It's just abhorrent to God. But Christians through the centuries have helped to lift that as an example of bringing value and dignity and honor to women. They, you know, they've, they've, they've taken the way that Jesus interacts with women within Scripture and just sees the value that he came and brought. Even in talking about marriage specifically in Matthew 19 verse 6, Jesus says, Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. It's serious. Uh, even in our country, in New Zealand, Kate Shepherd, because of her Christian faith and through a Christian organization, she established the first woman vote in, in the world, 1893. I can't believe that it took that long. <laughs> but yeah, so that every woman could vote. It's Jesus' people that have helped to establish that. Then there's the influence on education. Uh, we're particularly through the Protestant Reformation, through the 16th and 17th centuries, we have this massive influence of seeing universal education become a reality and this idea that everyone should have a right to be educated. It's estimated that 92% of American universities have grown out and have got Christian faith uh, roots. I'm going to go uh, quickly over these next few. Sciences. Some of the you know, science and, uh, and faith have never been mutually exclusive. Some of the most well known discoveries, well known scientists, have been faith people. Isaac Newton, Florence Nightingale, uh, Blaise Pascal, Lord Kelvin, and a whole lot of others that I don't recognize the name of because I'm not really, well, I was never very good at science. <laughs> but some, some good science stuff. <laughs> Holidays, holy days because of the value to honor these particular days, to celebrate, to glorify God. That's where holidays have come from. Charity, a massive amount of our charitable organizations have been birthed from Christians. Art, Christianity has given history some of its most significant artworks and artists through the centuries. You know, you look at some of the most influential uh, artists through, uh, through time. People like Leonardo, Leonardo's Last Supper, Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel, Rembrandt's biblical uh, paintings that they've done. Artists that have shaped the world through expressing something of their faith and the beauty of who God is. Feeling inspired? <laughs> Just one more, one more. Music. I know there's more. I know. You're thinking of them, are you? Hey, what about, what about <laughs> music? You know, similar to art, some of our most influential composers and musicians have been people of faith who have, who have just brought God's beauty, have communicated in such a way that touches the soul of people in a special way because of their faith in Jesus. History's pivot point. The sense of great expectation of this king that we celebrate, this small child in very humble circumstances is how he started. 
but he changed the world. And as we sort of just draw this to a close, and I mean, I think all of this just leans itself into us asking some, some important questions, right? Beyond the sort of the, the big piece of history and of Jesus' influence in the world in general, just some, some important questions that it, it begs us to ask, right? And if I could just sort of circle right back to sort of where, where we started. and Have you made Jesus the pivot point of your life? Thanks so much for joining us for today's message. We hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you are keen to find out a little bit more about us as a church whanau or you'd like to touch base, then you can go to coast.org.nz and there you'll find information about our in-person services, online services, various resources and activities. Enjoy the day and be blessed.